In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt. And nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Every bush seems to have a couple drakes hanging out, like they're just walking around all over. It just wasn't like that this spring. There's still a lot of ducks around, but nothing like the ridiculousness, like check your bed sheets before bed for mallards type of stuff. <laughs> I still, I'm still seeing a little bit of chasing going on with the, the one hand and two drake mallards thing is still going on. I saw that happening two days ago. Yeah, and then yesterday I saw like a, a nine bird rape squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, duck life is, isn't exactly harmonious. I also saw, uh, where was I the other day? Oh, I think it was Malax. Was it Malax? Had to have been. I think it was Malax. And this uh, mother, Goldeneye, was uh, this pair of common mergansers got a little too close to her and her brood and she was not happy. golden eye huh yeah she That's chased really cool she chased them right out holy shit i mean it was like what is all it was like up this little creek that was like dumping in it's all this crazy commotion going on and then i'm like what is going on that drake merg comes flying out and then the then the hen comes flying out and still splashing around and she kind of comes out of the creek and yeah just a hen goldie with a she had about 13 little golden eyelets did you hear (laughs) delta waterfall came out with a video on their youtube page a few days back talking about the pintail i think it's called the pintail problem and i was going to bring that up to you as a possible subject you want to talk about it right now good if you know yeah let's start the podcast let me let me just see let me just guess is this like why we don't see drakes 
in Minnesota? <laughs> no. That kind of no. thing? Actually, okay. kind of the exact opposite of oh, that. Oh, all right. Well, go then. Uh, well, are we going to make this the start of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, welcome, everybody, to a Waterfall, waterfall Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, <laughs> jinx. Anyways, yeah, um, Delta Waterfall came out with a video. Um, they said the pintail problem, and what they were saying was that the pintails choose very short grass nesting locations, which has resulted in a lot of uh, wheat stubble nesting because 20, 30 years ago, they used to plow everything after harvest, and now because of soil conservation and the wheat stubble will grab the snow for moisture retention that they're leaving the stubble fields up or even planting cover crops in there. So the hen pintails like to go in there and start a nest right in the middle of a damn wheat stubble field. And then spring starts up and the whole Farmer Joe fires up the John Deere and he's killing a bunch of hens, destroying a bunch of nests. So other ducks that nest in the similar area have been seeing you know, their long-term averages go up, but the pintails have actually been seeing their numbers go down a little bit. And so they're getting one bird limits across all the flyways and that sort of stuff. And I mean, they're putting satellite trackers on, on hen pintails down on the Gulf Coast. They have been for a few years trying to figure this out more and more. So what Delta Waterfall has been researching is they also say there's too many drakes now. Like the, the drake ratio is way out of whack. Really? Because the tractors are killing these hens and now you have like way more drakes than you would see with other uh, duck species. And so they say that the uh, spring chase, the, uh, the chasing is actually killing some hens too because there's so many drakes rape squatting these hens. Oh, no. And it is not <laughs> uncommon for a hen to drown when she is encountered by a group of eight or nine of these brown thugs. Oh, and dude, I've watched it. I watched <laughs> it on the Mississippi River up by the Coon Rapids Dam. It was crazy. With mallards, not with pintails. But, dude, it was nuts. I mean, there was so many drakes just kicking the shit out of this one hen. Yeah, they're pushing her under the water. Yep. And then she would fly, and then they would fly, and they're, like, picking feathers off her while they're flying. And then she would go back down, land on the water, mm. and then they would just land, and they'd push her back down. And yeah. every single... Drake that flew up and down that river joined in. Oh, on exactly. The melee. Yeah, as dude, long it was as crazy. When they're chasing, I mean, they can chase the hens to the point of death from exhaustion too. And I mean, she's running and running and running. And it, like you said, more drakes will pick up the chase as others yeah. kind of fall out. Oh man! So they can chase her till she dies. So they say this is happening a lot with the pintails. So what they're about to recommend to the Fish and Wildlife Service is that they move pintails into a mallard structure limit, meaning. They want to increase the harvest on drake pintails. So they want to start doing like, I think what they said is they want to do three pintail drakes and one hen for your limit. Mm. So the limit would be remaining at one hen pintail. And I think they said after November 1, they should start this in every state when they uh, when the drake pintails are very easily identified, you know, because sure. they got that bright white belly right, on them. Right, right. It's not tough to decipher a drake pintail from a hen pintail. Right. So they want to actually increase the harvest on drakes, get this ratio back so the hens aren't getting chased so bad. And then I don't know what they're going to do about the wheat stubble nesting problem, but that'd be so That's a farm. Wheat. That's like a farm practice problem. Yeah, what do you do? I mean, that's you got to – All you could do is ask the farmers, like, hey, is there a different way you can do this or leave a buffer zone? Like if you have wheat stubble and you're, you know, you're going to – 
plow it. They, Maybe they don't might, plow the fringe or something. I think they are doing some work like that with uh, private landowners up in up in Canada. But God, that would be cool down in uh, like me and Joe's hunts down in Oklahoma. There's been a couple of them now where we got into a uh, into a pond situation that was just straight pintails, and we I think it was a two bird limit that last time we did it, but we just had just a, a like a fourteen man pile of pintails it was awesome dude. but now imagine that with like a three bird drake limit oh that would be sick dude what a pile of sprigs yeah That'd just like awesome. 30 drake pintails and what do you guys go down there what so they they have sprigs on them by then when you guys go down there don't you yeah much in the winter yeah they start their season somewhere around thanksgiving kind of like the rest of the southern states do and then um we're down there we usually start like two days after christmas and we'll run for like seven to two, 10 or 11 days usually is that with coastal Right, mm-hmm. I think Joe just put something on his snap story about that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, they got a new lodge or something going on, or well, they did last year too. Yeah, Larry built this big old lodge down in southwestern Oklahoma. It's twelve miles from the Red River, and uh, it's sweet. Larry knows how to do his shit right. That's why me and Joe like to hunt with him so much. I mean, he's very professional and um, knowledgeable. He's been guiding in the uh, Texas and Oklahoma region for twenty years at least, and you know. He's just uh, like the, a good commander of the ship. You know, he's Sweet. got three, four groups in three or four groups in uh, in the lodge at any given moment, and he's got a big whiteboard there. Of, this is the group. You know, this is what they want: ducks or geese. You know, here's some potential spots. Have we checked with those landowners? You know, it, we're not like putting fires out. When, That's pretty sweet. Yeah, he's just like everything's calm. Like huh. he'll be taking naps in his chair there on lunch. You wake him up like, hey, we have this problem. He, Beep, bop, boop, gets his phone out. I think we've handled it, Nick. I'm like, all right, cool, and cool, Larry. Like, everything runs so smooth with Larry. Um, and he's just a cool dude. And we got we get to hunt with Jason Kilgore down there, and everybody that we've hunted that has worked with Larry has just been super professional, super mm, awesome. Sounds like you need to go down there with the podcast equipment. Dude, oh, that'd be a great guy to, po- <laughs> to get on an interview. Is Larry? Larry, if you're listening to this. <laughs> let's hook up set man. it up yeah i'd love I'll to hear more down there yeah because he's got stories on stories man you go in there in the lodge and uh all these cool birds with cool bands on them and you know he's been you know killing white geese down in the texas gulf area in the you know 80s 90s he's just got stories on stories on stories so that would be badass he really knows how to do it right yeah so i was saying so kind of like uh, one of the other subjects you talked about like the after the molt migration where birds kind of move north or follow the feed. Sure. It's like what I notice in Minnesota is that I rarely see people shoot Drake pintails in Minnesota. And maybe by the time the actual push back south comes, they've just completely relocated. Because obviously they're here in the spring because we're producing mallards or producing pintails i mean so can't do that without i mean i i understand biology enough to know that it takes a drake and a hand to get that done so and it could have something to do with what we talked about on an earlier podcast too about how the drakes will have a different migration route and uh different nutritional needs than the well, that's what their broods. yes so once they you know in the pintails it sounds like they take off like shortly after doing the deed like they don't hang around much oh really that's I haven't heard that. Kind of what I've been picking up. So. What do you mean, like uh, the drakes continue north, or yeah, like they they get in and do the deeds. You know, I mean, kind of like what we're saying. You know how the the drake uh, mallards they kind of they kind of hang around because they'll you know 
keep raping for a while? They'll just keep raping. Mallards <laughs> will keep producing, you know, a second, sometimes even a third clutch throughout the summer if they have enough time. Like they just, they're I haven't just heard that baby. One. They they will. I mean, I've seen it with my own. I've had ducks on my own property. Like so, you're saying she'll raise a brood, and they'll get to a certain age where they don't need mom anymore. No way. And they'll rebrood. I've heard of wood ducks doing this. Like I've heard of wood ducks having broods down in the south after they've migrated. Hmm. And then um, coming Crazy. back north and having another brood. Okay, I never heard that, but. And I, I think I just heard Scott Trinan talking about that. Really? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever read anything that said that, but he was saying it like on one of his like Q and A uh, in between uh, rounds at a goose calling contest. Well, I know they'll definitely reclutch if they lose a clutch. I mean that's that's for sure. But if definitely. they have if they have an early spring, they will they'll do it again. And I've actually shot some mallards that like in the fall that were like, how does this thing even flying? Like I've so many pin uh, pin feathers, you're like this thing just hatched like I've a seen month it too. ago. Yeah, I've seen it too. It was actually on a youth waterfall day when I was out by Fergus Falls, and I was a youth. And uh, I remember watching a mother duck walk across the road with her brood, and they were like two weeks old, you know, like yeah. just out of fuzzball stage. I was like, holy shit! It's September yeah fourteenth. What and, like, the that fuck? one's never gonna make it. Like, so you suspect maybe that one ha- is actually having a second brood? That was, that's probably a second brood, yeah. And I have seen drakes give chase, like, into July, damn Yeah, it. I mean, I do a lot of fishing, so I'm on the water a lot. And I see, yeah, I see, just like I said, into July, I'll see that chase going on. It's always, and it's not the super rapey ones that you kind of see in the spring with the eight to a dozen drakes going. It's always, it's, it's the two. It's the two drakes and the one hand flying around. Is oh, really? That's what I see. Oh, all right. For the most part. I always wonder about those drakes that look like they're in a like a nice relationship with the hen hanging out there all the time if they just turn into a rapist <laughs> like as soon as she lays her eggs he's like all right cool got the wife all settled in now i'm gonna just go rape for a few weeks well it's like you hear from a lot of the um animal rights activists where they they get on you know waterfall hunters because some waterfall like swans and geese and some ducks mate for life they say right well yes but they're not it's not a very committed relationship because the hen's sitting on the eggs or she's just making the nest or whatever and the drake goes off to feed or whatever if another single drake flies around sees that hen goes down there she'll receive another drake and for ducks the other reason he's going off isn't just to get a bite to eat he's looking for <laughs> he's doing the exact same thing that other drake was doing hey so, honey i'm going out for a pack of smokes <laughs> maybe so, a little rape at best it's an open relationship. I mean, they might breed for life, but... <laughs> Can you guess, out of all the birds in the world, what percentage of them have penises? Two, 2%. 2% It's only? very, very rare for male birds, and that's including all birds, to have a penis. So some males don't have a penis? Most. 98% of all birds have no dick. What? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? No, ducks and geese have dicks, and uh, that's actually super, super rare in the bird world. And um, the reason that they hypothesize why this has happened is because what? of bird rape. That females have actually um, evolved and the species have evolved to uh, have no dicks. Well, I do know that ducks have a... Um they have a corkscrew dick. Yeah, they have a corkscrew dick because the the hens have developed like a labyrinth 
vagina. They've developed a anti-rape. It's, yeah, with, so they've got like, like uh, false cavities where you they yeah they like uh, the penis won't inseminate the eggs, and then the drakes have evolved to have countermeasures to just this cold war like just <laughs> <laughs> rape yeah spy versus spy yeah that's yeah, that's better not cold war <laughs> seriously it's just like an arms race of of not getting pregnant and impregnating that's, I heard that, that's not a that's on a radio lab podcast wild, i think if you just google radio lab bird dicks, bird dicks. <laughs> well that's weird dude that they there's male birds out there that don't have dicks no they just got like a hole they just got like a hole and the females have a hole and they rub holes and they get the job done yeah or really mm-hmm. and like the whole um flamboyant color Dude, that's crazy the flamboyant coloration on drakes and of other bird species the males have like flamboyant colors and it's all f- and the uh the elaborate like um courtship courtship displays they all have it's all um like kind of rape countermeasures, I think, because birds are just rapist motherfuckers. <laughs> they they kind of are, except for geese. For some reason, geese seem to do that whole um, family unit, and uh, they'll stick together remarkably well. Even like snow geese, you see these fifty thousand bird flocks of snow geese. Like inside that flock, it's pretty amazing how the families stick together. Hmm. That's wild. And I don't know how, but I mean, even like out in uh, on the West Coast, when you get a lot of subspecies of Canada's uh, in the same area, like when you get different subspecies in fields, they kind of hang out together. And I suspect they even kind of hang out together, like based on, you know, family units, um, geese that are in the same uh, breeding area. Well, I mean, geese aren't ornately, you know, feathered. They don't, they're, they're not, they're um, not sexually dimorphic. They don't have the, no, the hen and a drake no, difference. The males and the females look identical. Yep. Yeah. So there's no kind of no reason for the you know that like choosing a mate isn't based off of being flashy. And I know that when uh, when the gander and the goose get separated in the wintering zone, they do still mate together. They just meet at the breeding site in the spring. And I, and then the the goose will wait like two weeks. They say for the gander. To show up, and if he's not there, <laughs> I have needs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she will pick a new mate. I'm in my prime. Like if he if he got killed and she didn't know about it or something, you know. Um, a couple weeks goes by and she's still sitting there like building this nest. Yep, time. It's my biological clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. I need I need to get my needs met. Another weird thing about ducks and geese when they nest is they don't ever carry materials to the nest site. They all they only build the nest from the surrounding materials, like yeah, pretty I much like so. what you can reach with your yeah, head. Yeah, I guess I can't. I guess I can't say I've ever seen a a duck or a goose carrying nesting materials, so that makes sense. They don't. They, they just, use their own down a lot. And they use that. their They'll down, yeah, and their own down. Just scrape together a nest, and well, thank God for muskrats. I mean, that's what most goose nests seem to be on. Yeah, and uh, like diving ducks actually will nest on. They nest in open water, like a. There, there will be has to be some depth of water underneath them for them to build a nest. So I guess like like canvas backs and stuff. Like I heard this all in like a Ducks Unlimited podcast recently. Actually, it was like canvas backs. These big, big water um, ducks. They're just out on the Great Lakes, giant pools in the Mississippi River. They'll go up to Canada and they'll nest in a uh, like a little half acre cattail swamp hmm. because that's just what is flooded and they do sure. they do really well on it apparently. Well. It- it's like if you're on a bog, the bog never floods. It just keeps floating. If the water level goes up, it they go up. That seems to be a good survival strategy. Yeah, and I guess the I mean they say that the 
entire nesting, uh, not success, but the density of how many ducks are nesting in one location. They've done a lot of studies on like food availability, this, that, or the other thing. And it's ba- they say it's based on one factor and one factor only, how much water there is. Hmm. And you get up north, like up into the Can- Canadian prairies, like it doesn't snow a fuckload up there. It's, it's away from the ocean quite a ways. It's away from the Great Lakes. That's why these farmers are leaving the stubble. They're trying to collect as much snow as possible. And you get areas that are dry one year, wet another, and it can really vary on it on a year to year basis. Just like kinda like the uh just like the prairies in the south. Hmm. Interesting. Well and certain well golden wait, is it golden eyes? Yeah, I believe golden eyes are cavity nesters like wood ducks. Are they? Pretty sure. I think you're right. Just double check me on that. Hooded mergansers are cavity nesters. And they're parasitic nesters too. Mergansers are? Mm-hmm. Those hooded mergansers love to just dump some eggs in some wood duck boxes. Really? Those dirty bastards. Yeah, there's a picture that went viral like uh, two or three years ago. There's a hen wood duck. She's got like 57 babies <laughs> following her or some shit. They call her like super mom. It's like, yeah, super sucker. <laughs> like most of them were hooded merganser babies following her. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the other cavity is. There's another one I'm missing. It might be, it actually might be common mergansers. Because I remember reading it and going, holy shit, that's going to take, that needs to be a big ass cavity. Yeah, those fuckers are huge. Yeah, they're giant. I'd have to look that up on. We get quite a good, uh, should Google that. We get a pretty damn good uh, common merganser migration through here in, uh, in Fridley. Really? We wouldn't think of that to be coming through the Twin Cities, but yeah, some days I've uh, been out there and there's been huge rafts of commons out on uh, Moore Lake and uh, I've seen them flying over quite a bit. Huge white bellies on them too. Yeah, they. You know what's weird in the fall? They kind of look. The drakes kind of look where the white. They almost looks yellow. Yeah. Get one. It's like, but in the spring they're like powder white. Right. So I don't know if that is like the feathers haven't come in yet, or if that's like the feathers are stained from the waters that they're in, or something. I. Well, birds are kind of technically molting almost all year long. They just don't lose the flight feathers, except for um, in the summer. But, I mean, obviously they're still molting because you'll see a drake in the early season and it looks like a hen. You know, you see one in late August or early September. A drake mallard, you can really only tell it. It's a drake by its yellow bill. Wow. That's, you, know, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, like, yep. I mean, by the time January comes around, that bird who was it had flight back in August, now it's got full coloration. It changed those feathers out in those that previous few months. Yep. Common mergansers um, nest in holes in trees. They are a cavity nester too. What about golden eyes? Uh, I'll look those up. I'm almost positive that those are cavity nesters. We don't know shit about ducks. Man. I don't know nothing. Golden eyes nests. I'll put that in there. We'll see. That should work. They live in a dead tree. Hey, what we were talking about that um, uh, conservation land and water, whatever. Yeah, that passed. I think. I think. Oh, that, sweet. I think that, that moved op- its way. Was, was that the one that opened up a bunch of refuge? Nope. For hunting. Nope. This is going to be the one that uh, does like nine hundred million dollars a year in dedicated funding. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, and twenty five percent of it has to go towards um, land acquisition. Very. So nice. they're going to be buying land up like fucking crazy, and then opening up to hunting. That was sweet. I wonder if there's something that going back to the nesting, trying to stay somewhat on topic before we close this one out. Um, 
I wonder if there's something that we could do on like these WPAs where maybe they start planting, you know, wheat just just to make habitat or they could probably just mow the grass or maybe just leave it long. I guess I don't know what they prefer. You know what? I, I I've been doing a lot of research on like public land and like where you can hunt and all this. Minnesota, it really has a lot of great um Waterfall production areas more out west, but wildlife management areas, which are mm-hmm. state run, um, those are there. We have a fucking shitload of it. We Minnesota in general, like public lands, it's ridiculous. We do have pretty good. Where we really suck dick is um <laughs> our walk-in our walk-in access, which would be yeah. private land ownership that's open to public yeah, hunting, like a plots or something. A like plots, that, yeah. yeah, which is public land open to sportsmen that's the north dakota program mm-hmm. a lot of states like kansas and others they call it walk-in access same as we do um montana calls it um block management land but a lot of states have really good programs for that minnesota's fucking sucks hmm. so i think with minnesota you have a lot of this wpa um not wpa wma the uh, state-run land where it's just this fucking shitty grass and um yeah, there's a shitty pond out in the middle of it, and you can go and hunt that shitty pond mm-hmm. if you want. I'm sure it'd be good on some days, you know? Right, right. And I mean, like, you do hear good stories of all this land, people having great hunts on it. But why can't we come up with a program where we're, like, leasing some of this shithole grass that they're planting, native prairie grasses? Why don't we just, uh, I'm sure Farmer Joe that has a farm right next to it would be interested in doing, like a low, like, a low-cost lease on it. Plant some corn out there and make it available to us to hunt it. I mean, we could get some really good agricultural land to hunt if we started plowing up some of this garbage grass that does no value to. Pre- I mean, there's well, you wouldn't have to do all of it. Water, no, you you would definitely want a buffer. You wouldn't want it corn right down to that pond. No, no, just like I mean, obviously without putting much thought into it, you know, right here. <laughs> but I mean, like, there's there's. Big tracks of just open grassland. Huge tracks of land. And people just, you know, walk pheasant dogs through it, and that's cool. Yeah. But, I mean, there's got to be some way we could have more agriculture to hunt, agricultural land for geese, and stuff that would probably be really good. I think you'd be better off um, leaving those lands wild and and just uh, trying to enroll more farmland into the walk-in access. I yeah. could be better off with that. If you look at the walk-in access, it's pretty much centered in southwestern Minnesota. It's pretty much focused on pheasant land, right. which all the WMAs are already fucking pheasant land. Yeah, right. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Nick doesn't like pheasants, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, fuck your dogs. <laughs> they're in, <laughs> they're, they uh, technically are an invasive species. Well, yeah, they're from China. We just like the coronaviruses. China, <laughs> China. No, they. Uh, <laughs> I love pheasant eating. Oh yeah. God uh, damn, do I love what? eating pheasants? They, they taste good, but they're. I mean, they don't taste that good. Yeah, they do. Ah, they're all right. What are you eating, game farm pheasants? Ah, they just get taste them like garbage ass birds from South Dakota. They just taste like chickens, dude. They taste like better chickens. Yeah, in South Dakota, that's a whole nother subject. The way they do their pheasants out there, they like stock. So it's they're basically like stock. You like mean walleyes, farm? Like walleyes are here. It's just it's a put and take. Oh God, sport been... out there. They just dump in truckloads of pheasants out there. <laughs> I've just been bashing South Dakota on myself <laughs> on my social media. Oh, have I been fucking South laying Dakota. into them? They've got this whole thing where they're like. 
But they're doing the three splash rule, or maybe had that passed? Are they still talking about it? They're still talking about that, but that's still going to only be open to the people who do the lottery license. Oh, sure. But yeah. they're the only state that does a lottery license for um for waterfall hunters, for non-resident waterfall for non-resident, hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we, they get all this federal money, and for habitat, they just got a few million bucks to open up more walk-in access for people to hunt. And it's like if oh. you get drawn. But here's a th- now here's what they're saying. The lottery licenses don't sell out anymore, so anybody can... Oh, is that right? Yeah, but they still limit the amount of days you can hunt. Sure. Well, North Dakota's that. You only get your two... Yeah, it's bullshit. ...five-day periods or whatever they are. At least you can uh, buy it over the counter. Hmm. You think they would at least, like, you could buy another two weeks if you wanted. I mean, people that had deep enough pockets, they would just go again. I have heard... It's either South or North Dakota. I think you can do that. And then, like, the I just want to hunt out on those public fields they got in Pier. They've got, like, 52 fields out there or something like that that are right off the refuge. So you can oh, wow. show up and you get a draw number and you can go out there. They've even got two trailers that you can drag out there if you don't even want to bring your trailer. Just use their decoys. Huh. Fully stocked with, like, sleeper shells and Bigfoots. And, uh, yeah, just go out there and hunt public land. Except it's only open to residents because that zone, you can buy an over-the-counter license, but you must hunt private. Interesting. They don't allow you to go onto the public lands, which is... Also, I also have... Right, we're going to end this on this note. Um, I got some inside information on a new uh, band hunting opportunity. All right, let's discuss it publicly. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> He'll never talk to me again. Um, let's just say I have an invite on uh, a place where they know that they're banding. So, Like this year? That they, they, yeah, they'll do it again this year. They've done it for the past few years, I guess. But there's a lot getting canceled from coronavirus. I did. I'll uh, have to check them, see if you can. I got an email from the Wisconsin Waterfall Association because I'm a volunteer bander. And they said that all volunteer banding activities are canceled in um, Wisconsin this year. I didn't, that didn't specify if it was um, um, all banding opportunities or all banding projects but all volunteer based ones well, why don't they just combine a protest with the banding program you can have up to 100 people then can you <laughs> that's what they say <laughs> you can only have like a backyard barbecue of, of 10 people and then i think this is some place in some county in california released their things like you can have family friends barbecues up to 10 people protest up to 100 people and so this person in the comments is like all right y'all we're planning the protest in my backyard there's going to be beer and brats uh we're going to be arguing about all sorts of shit tonight uh, bring your own topic that you hate <laughs> that's a good call why can't we you know just get a couple of signs uh, that say like we need more bands and we're yeah. protesting this right, goddamn yeah. banding halt that they're doing Greenhead lives That's matter. That's a huge, huge hit, hunt. though, man. Like, Wisconsin's 4,000 goose bands a year. Minnesota's 4,000 goose bands a year. Well, hopefully it's just a one-year blip in the fuck in the thing. But There'll be a lot less jingle jangles happening this year, <laughs> man. A lot less yeah. uh, people shooting bands. Yeah, that's that's for sure. All right. Let's kill this one. All right. That's it for that Later, one. Later, guys. This has been the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast Waterfall Wednesday with Nick J. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Hey, if you got some uh, waterfall lovers out there that you know and they are not aware of the Waterfall Wednesday or Full Scale Outdoors Podcast, let them know. Share it with your buddies. Keep it going around. 
Uh, don't forget, if you have a beard, if you're thinking about growing a beard, take care of that some bitch. Go to thebeardstruggle.com, put in code FULLSCALE15 at checkout, save yourself 15%. Thank you again for listening. Whatever your passion, especially if it's waterfowl, pursue it full scale. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.